Remember walking into that new house for the first time and all of a sudden you start noticing that something's just not quite right. It's not the same house you bought. There's something going on. You're noticing that there's water in the walls and you start panicking. What do you need to do? Where do you need to go? How do you get this structure back? Welcome to Structurally Sound with your host, me, Dr. Jason Alvian. So today on the show, we have with us Max Erd. He uh, works with White's Law Firm, and he does uh, very interesting work within the field. Uh, this person that we just uh, brought on here would be getting a lot of help through Max. Max, tell us about yourself. Hey, Dr. Jason, I'm Maxwell Erd at the White's Law Firm, and what we do is specialize in property damage claims. So people that have issues with their home, whether it's a flood, fire, hurricane damage, things like that, typical losses, a lot of people don't really understand the insurance process or how it works or how to even proceed with the insurance company. So we simply <laughs> guide their hand in the process and help them kind of get in line everything they need to do and fight with the insurance company to get things paid. People pay for insurance and they're entitled to get their home repaired under it. And there's a valid claim under the policy. Now, now the, the opening that we had here with uh, the, the story, have you ever helped somebody that had damage like this? They were in a new home. They're only there a short period of time. Can you remember a story that you were able to get out and really just get somebody back on their feet through this process? Absolutely. One of my favorite clients was a first-time homeowner that was maybe 23, 24 years old, never owned a house before. <laughs> One month into owning the house, water starts backing up throughout all of the plumbing, overflowing from toilets, overflowing from tubs, absolutely no idea what to do. And he had cracked sewer lines running directly through the middle of his house. It required ah. removed flooring and cut a trench maybe two feet wide throughout the middle of his living room, kitchen, all the way through the bathroom. And it's an unfortunate thing we see in a lot of older homes down in South Florida that were built in the 50s that use cast iron pipes. And it's kind of a known issue, but a lot of people don't understand this when they're purchasing new homes and things like that. And for someone that's never experienced any plumbing issues before, let alone knows how to operate a house or deal with the day-to-day -day runnings, it's a bit of a shock for some people. So what, what was it like for this person? I mean, what was the the next months that they had to go through? I mean, was this something that they were able to get fixed quickly or is this a process? No, it's a process. Unfortunately, I think it was about a year and a half long process from start to finish. Year Started and a half? Year and a half. <laughs> Starts Could you imagine not being in your home for a year and a half? <laughs> and that's the thing is, unfortunately, some people have insurance coverage for what's called additional living expenses that'll pay for a rental property or a hotel stay, Airbnb, something like that, while their home's not livable. But a lot of times it's not adequate enough for a loss for such a period of time. They'll have maybe $10,000, $15,000 of coverage, which gets eaten up pretty quickly in a rental or if you're trying to stay in a hotel at a few hundred dollars a night. Yeah, that seems... Uh for somebody that's 23, 24 years old, I mean, at any age, I mean, at least this person, was it a single person? Did they have a family? What was going on? Single person whose family lived out of the state. Oh. Didn't have significant other, anything like that. 
he was completely just kind of stuck. And a lot of people, unfortunately, most of our clients live through it to a certain extent. I have numerous clients that have been living without a kitchen or living without multiple usable bathrooms in their home where the entire family is limited to essentially using one small guest bathroom because it's the only one that's separated <laughs> off the plumbing the that, that they've to. Yeah, exactly. The only thing that they're able to kind of use. So you have a family of five that's sharing one guest bathroom in a big, large home because it's the only thing that's usable. Now, I, I grew up in a, in a family of five and uh, the house I grew up in had one shower. So, I mean, it, uh, growing up, it's one of those things that you're used to, but when you go from everybody kind of had their own thing to now you get condensed down to a family that has to use one, that's got to be difficult. And it's really difficult, especially with families that have a lot of kids and things like that, where you have multiple people that are trying to get ready to go to school at the same time, or two parents that are trying to get ready to go to work when it comes to You uh, really get help. What's the some advice you can give to somebody that now that they have to restructure their life, what's some of the best tips that you can give somebody going forward? How do you go about getting a hotel? How do you go about renting a place? What is it that you can do um, for from start to end, that would be best for somebody. One of the biggest things I could recommend is have someone that you trust, whether it's an agent or a friend that's familiar with it, review the insurance policy and make sure that you have the appropriate coverages in place. That's a big thing. A lot of people don't realize they don't have water coverage or it's extremely limited or just have a few thousand dollars for additional living expenses. That's one of the biggest things is a lot of people don't understand the insurance policies and don't know what they realistically need. After that, the best thing to do is reach out to some sort of professional, whether it could be a public adjuster or an attorney to handle the claim. They're the ones that are ultimately gonna have your best interest and can guide you in that. I've seen clients that, well, we had to leave the house. So we went out and stayed at the Ritz for a couple nights. And it's like, well, you just burned <laughs> through a third of your money that your policy provides for rather than reaching out and trying to find better accommodations. Unfortunately, a lot of people during that process will have to find arrangements that are not comparable to their current living situation. They may be in a several thousand square foot house and are now in a two bedroom Airbnb that's in the back of someone's other house. So the best thing you can do is set yourself up right from the beginning. So when you have an issue, you know, you're going to have coverages in place and be protected to take care of yourself. Yeah, I've actually personally gone through a, a situation like this. Um, 20... 17, I believe it was. Um, we were in a uh, townhome and uh, noticed that there was some water coming from underneath one of the toilets uh, in the uh, guest room. So we had a plumber come look at it, move the toilet and said, you've had a leak for a while. And apparently the house has tile on top of tile. So we had the, through a good part of the ground floor of the house and the ground floor was tile throughout the same thing. So we moved out for over five weeks and they had to remove the entire tile, portions of the wall, how to do the mold remediation and go through the whole process. But yeah, we were living in a hotel room with one bathroom, two beds and a added bed. So the 
I think she was seven at the time, six at the time. One of my daughters had a, another bed to sleep on. So that was, um, it was pretty interesting right here in Boca. Uh, I lived um, at the Renaissance over there by the mall for about five weeks. <laughs> I know exactly the one you're talking about. And that's another key thing that a lot of people don't realize is virtually all of the insurance policies have a very low cap on mold damage. And as you know, water spreads very, very quickly and damages things very quickly. Mold spreads as well extremely fast. And a lot of the insurance policies typically only have $10,000 of coverage. And it's just standard of what they write. And the $10,000 gets eaten up relatively quick. But the thing is, is you can increase that coverage very cheaply. It's very, really not that expensive. And I've unfortunately seen that in large homes that are over in like Delray on the golf courses and things like that, where they only have five or $10,000 in mold coverage. And it's one of those things where your insurance premium for the year is $7,000 or so. What does it really cost extra to just add a little bit more mold to where you're not going to be out of pocket on the hook for the remainder? The insurance company will pay what they're entitled to up to the limit, but beyond that, you're on the hook for it. I remember our mold remediation came right up to the limit of the ten thousand dollars, and then uh, always- we had it. We had an additional forty thousand to be able to get the home fixed, which fortunately we were able to to do everything and. Uh, Got that fixed. Everything was back to normal. Uh, brand new tile, and it was only one layer of tile this time. <laughs> back to what you were saying with that. That's another key thing. Is it's really important to keep documents, especially home inspection reports, and any documents related to things you have done. The home inspection reports, especially for claims relating to directly after purchase, can be key. With roofing claims, we'll have hurricanes that come through. And I just settled a case for a family that bought their first home over in Parkland in July of 2017. September of 2017, Hurricane Irma hit. Caused extensive damage, about $150,000 worth of damage. Did, did you say you just closed that? Yes. The check is <laughs> yeah, sitting so, on my desk. So, so it's 2021, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's wow. how long it can take sometimes. So, uh, insurance, uh, so being prepared with insurance beforehand seems to be uh, uh, the biggest key in, in this factor of making sure you have your structure set up correctly. Absolutely. And the documentation that they had from the inspection report was pretty much the pinnacle of their case. The insurance company came out and said that it was wear and tear. It wasn't caused by the storm. Client provided me an inspection report that shows no two months before the storm, when you wrote the policy of insurance, everything was good to go on the roof. It wasn't worn and torn. There wasn't cracked or missing tiles. Gave that to the insurance company. And then that's when they kind of had a realization that maybe our engineer was wrong and we probably should pay this case. And we were able to settle it and went from a completely denied case to getting them over $150,000. Well, hey, $150,000. I mean, like you said, that's what it costs to do that. But what about the the costs over those four years of where did they live? Did they have to buy a new house? Did they live in a house that wasn't working? Did they have to pull the money out of pocket? To some extent, they pulled money out of pocket to make temporary repairs and unfortunately just kind of dealt with the staining and the leaking from the roof over several years. 
that can cause so much more damage. It causes damage, headaches, and frustration. I see it all the time where I have clients that are just extremely frustrated and annoyed that the insurance company just didn't do what they were supposed to do. And they've been dealing with the consequences the last couple of years. The insurance company is a corporation. They don't really have to deal with the repercussions other than monetary stuff. They're not the ones that are living with it and dealing with it every single day of their lives. Yeah, It, it seems like you get to come in based on uh, your, your background when somebody has something in life go the, the wrong way and uh, they need to figure their way back. You seem to be there as the help. Um, I was uh, looking at uh, some of your profile and it also looks like you've worked within the personal injury arena as well. Are you still doing that or are you strictly on the construction side? So our firm does specialize in personal injury and we do some wrongful death stuff as well. My primary practice is limited more to the property side. I help out with a little bit of the personal injury and wrongful death, but property's kind of been my area of expertise. Prior to coming over here, I actually worked for the insurance companies doing defense work for about five years denying all the insurance. <laughs> so they don't like you, do they? No, I was working on the bad side before and it's pretty funny. It's interesting seeing all sides of it now. And I certainly enjoy this side a little bit better. It's a little bit more rewarding than denying people's claims when you personally think they're valid. But technically there's a caveat to where you could make an argument that it wouldn't be covered. So I certainly enjoyed this side a lot more and I enjoy the property work I always had. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm sure that store, there's other people out there that have that. So in your, your personal life, what are you doing out for fun? Are you still racing cars or motorcycles? Not as much anymore. I've been into motorcycles pretty much my entire life. I've been riding dirt bikes since the time I was about three or four years old and got out of that the last several years. Well, when I pretty much started college, I didn't really have a whole lot of time or a garage to keep anything in per se. So now <laughs> it's kind of a hobby of boats and motorcycles and cars kind of on the side and enjoy, try to have some fun when I'm not stuck in the office. All right. So you're just talking about college. There you are in college, you're in law school. And I mean, you can go down pretty much any avenue of law there is. I mean, somebody has a law degree. There's so many different areas of practice. How did you fall into this one? So when I was in law school, I was actually working at an insurance defense firm working directly under one of the attorneys. And I was unfortunately working in Miami and living in Fort Lauderdale. So I had about an hour and a half drive round trip or day <laughs> rather every single day. And it was just a little bit miserable. And one of my best friends that I actually currently work with right now started working at White's law firm. We were in our second year of law school doing property damage work. She called me one day and said, my boss is looking for someone else to kind of help out with it. I interviewed with it, really liked the firm. I liked what we were doing and the fact that I could do a little bit of other work on the side. We were at that point doing some class action work as well with cryptocurrencies and doing some wrongful death stuff. So it was kind of interesting. So I started there as a law clerk, kind of helping out with the partner. And by my last year of law school, he offered me a job as an attorney, said, you graduate and pass the bar, you have a job here. And I kind of took that as it was a good position. I knew who I was going to be working with. I was comfortable. I liked the firm. And I've been here ever since. So my avenue for that, it wasn't ideally probably what I anticipated doing. My specialization in law school was real estate and transactions. That's really what I thought 
I was going to get into, but I had been doing property for so long and I was so familiar with it and liked the people I was working with that it just kind of all fell into place. And I've been here ever since. Well, <laughs> there you are. <laughs> you got that job. So you're talking about cryptocurrency. How much Bitcoin you got? Oh, I don't have any. I was, that was pretty, <laughs> one of my first projects the day I started, my boss handed me a bunch of information on this cryptocurrency class action he was working on. And I looked over at the girl I was working with. I said, I don't know what in the world this is. So I'm sitting there <laughs> watching YouTube videos, trying to enter, teach myself what's going on and what I'm learning about right now. So it was a bit of a learning experience. And I think from watching, we worked on a couple cases where, cryptocurrency was hacked or the companies kind of stole from clients and things like that. I think that kind of put me off for a little bit. So now I just kind of watch and observe of what the market's doing rather than invest myself. Well, I, I took a little bit of play money, like something that I said, you know what, if I lost this, it's, it's no big deal. And uh, I do have a little bit of Bitcoin, but I purchased um, from this company called uh, Epic Cash. It's uh, about, and it wasn't that expensive. I put some in there and I'm just going to let it sit. And if it goes, it's like going to Las Vegas. If it doesn't, then we'll, we'll see what happens. But I figured I'd have a little bit of fun with it. So you, uh, you went through law school, you, you got into this position, you've been working there, any family or anything going on? Nope. I have some family up in central Florida. Um, mm -hmm. My mom is up in Ormond Beach and my dad's over in Winter Park, pretty much all in central Florida, no real family right down here. Um, my dad actually works on the opposite side of me, works for a homeowner's insurance company. So that's pretty good entertaining. It's some holidays and things like that. But it is great because we get to bounce ideas off of each other all day long. He calls me and goes, I have this weird claim. What would you do if, if this was this? And he, I do the same thing with him. He's like, oh, well, I mean, if it was my case, I would defend and argue this. And I'm like, that's a great idea. I didn't even think about that. So it's really kind of nice. We have some fun with it for sure. Oh, yeah. You could probably help you build up some of your cases that way. That's not bad. So uh, based on what you've been telling me, you're down here by yourself. Um, and, and you talked about a story about this 23, 24-year-old that had a problem with the house. That wouldn't have been you, was it? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> I just bought a new house and it's new construction. I'm hoping I don't have any issues for a little bit, even though I did already have one window leak, but that's been- Oh, a new construction. Well, at least it's warrantied, right? Yeah, that was the thing. I had in my own containment barrier and fans and everything else in my house <laughs> for a month or two. So it was nice because it gives you a sense of relating to your clients when they called me frustrated that I've had fans and I haven't been able to use my house for this period of time. And I'm sitting there kind of chuckling to myself and going, well, me too. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Process. So, so you got a little bit of understanding on what's going on there. It helps you kind of put yourself in their shoes for sure. So what did you, what did, you do your undergrad in? My undergrad was actually in legal studies. Both University of Central Florida and University of Miami have a really unique program that's the legal studies degree. And at UCF, every single class is taught by an attorney, a practicing attorney that has their own law firm. And every single class is a class that essentially you're going to take in law school. So it was a really good kind of springboard into law school because the first year when you're kind of taking your basic introductory courses, 
I had already taken all of them in undergrad and at least had an elementary understanding of what I was learning versus some of the other people that were like a journalism major or a botany major that are sitting in my class going, what in the world are they talking about? So it was really kind of helpful to me. That was at the suggestion of my dad. And I thank him to this day for pointing me in that direction because it sets you up very well. And the program's neat because you can kind of take two avenues. Either you get the degree and you're set up to be a registered paralegal, which is you can apply for the state. You have to have this degree and a certification, and it allows you to kind of jump ahead of a lot of the other paralegals. Or in the alternative, it sets you up as a springboard to go directly into law school with going in with some sort of background of what you're going to be learning because you've been kind of put into it for the last couple of years. Okay, that sounds uh, that sounds like it was uh, a better route because, like you said, there's a lot of people that don't know what they want to go to school for, and they get a bachelor's degree, and then a few years after that, they decide, you know what, maybe I want to be a lawyer, and it's okay, they can go and do that, but it sounds like you went a route that it made it easier once you got in there. Absolutely. And I even wasn't sure exactly then. So I actually got two degrees. I got another degree in finance because I figured if I started law school and I didn't like it, I'll just go the other route. So I was like, you know what, why I'm here, I'm just going to kind of set it up. I was going to just do a minor. So I decided to just turn that into a double major and leave myself some options because I mean, at 20 years old, no one really knows. I feel like what they want to do, unless it's something that they've wanted for their entire life. And I always had a pretty good idea, but I wanted to leave myself some room there in case I didn't want to go and pursue that route. Or you, you might be dating. Really a thing when I was getting my finance degree, <laughs> that's for sure. I'm sure it's taught in college now because, I mean, that's uh, th- that's definitely a big buzz thing going on right now. And, I mean, even within the news, you're hearing about it with some of these corporations buying up uh, massive amounts of these things. Oh, absolutely. My mom called me a couple of weeks ago saying that she had bought some and I was pretty. <laughs> All right, mom. I was like, okay, mom, I see you. That works pretty well. Like she calls me and updates me every now and then she's like, hey, I've made this much money on it so far. And I'm like, pretty impressed. Well, so, just like anything like, you get into, yeah. whether you're buying, buying a house, whether you're getting a car, whether you're investing in stocks, there's always some sort of uh, risk that goes in it. You just got to be able to uh, put yourself in a position where if there was a loss, you'd be good with that. And it seems like some of the information you're given to out there that getting yourself in the right insurance policy when you move into a house, that's definitely going to help protect what's going on. So if you do end up needing uh, uh, Maxwell here, he will uh, be able to guide you a lot easier because you'll actually have the coverage. Absolutely. We're always here to help. And if people suffer a loss and don't really know what to do or are having an issue with the insurance company after a claim they've submitted, our firm actually does free consultation. So we're always available to give us a call. And if we're unable to help you or get where you need to go. We're always able to point you in the direction of someone that can. That's one thing I always try to do for anyone that calls in and reaches out to us is at the end of the day, even if it's not something we can help with, want to point you in the right direction of someone that can. That's really important to us. 
All right. So here, here's the question that's going to put you on the spot in a different aspect. Uh, most people look up to successful people and want to know how they can be in that position. So give us a day in a life for you. What is your processes that you go through from waking up in the morning to go in bed at night to make sure that you're successful? Mm. My kind of day in the process, one thing I would say that's really important to setting myself up for success is kind of making sure I take care of myself first thing in the morning and at the end of the night. When I get up in the morning, I try to give myself some time to get set up, have my cup of coffee, just relax for a little bit before I go through anything. I don't look at my phone. I don't go through my emails because then my mind just starts going on that. It's really important me to just kind of wake up and relax and set myself up for the day and get woken up. Favorite thing to do in the morning is self up and just kind of have some quiet time before everything gets going in the hustle bustle of the day to day. And I try to do the same thing at night and just relax and take my time and kind of shut my brain off. I talk to my family daily to try to make sure that everything's good and in line with that. And if I'm in a good place mentally, it allows me to perform well at work without having distractions. All right. Now, now you get to work. What are some of the uh, key things you do at work to keep you on task? Because sometimes people get overwhelmed. So what are things that you put in place to keep your structure of your day, keep everything working in a good uniform way? Well, I live off of my calendar and notepads. I am probably the worst paper person in the world, but it's the way I keep myself on track. I have notepads all over the place of my to-do list and things to do and people to call and kind of every day I consolidate them. I go through my emails first thing in the morning and write together a list of exactly what I need to do first thing in the morning, who I need to call, what my hot button issues are. That's the best way for me. I keep track of everything on that is I have to have my, I always have a notepad with me and I always write things down and try to keep myself organized in that regard. Because if I am one of those people, if I don't write it down or have it in front of me, it slips my mind and I won't remember to follow back to it. So that's my key of keeping myself on track and focused. People make fun of me at the office and my boss yells at me all the time. He says, it's 2021. You got to give up on the paper. But you know what? I always have the paper with me. The computer programs and things like that make it a little bit more difficult sometimes. But you know what? If I'm out of the office or the computers go down for whatever reason, I have my notepad with me and I can still get some work done and keep on top of what I need to do that day. Oh man, yes. But I have uh, I have post its, and um, I'll put things down on a post it for that day on things that I need to accomplish, and then just checking it off does help me out. But yeah, I live on a Google Calendar as well. I also have software for my practice, which has everything scheduled on there and able to get it through multiple routes. But just making sure I still have some paper does help me feel like I'm accomplishing something and I know what gets done on that paper that day, I, I've completed. All right, so uh, we've got Maxwell here. He works at White's Law Firm and it's white without a W, W-I, so W-I-T's Law Firm. And uh, he does a lot of help with people in the area that have issues with their home and construction to get you back to where you need to go. Max, so... What do you got going on this weekend? 
This weekend, I'm not too sure yet. I know I have a birthday party of one of my longtime friends this weekend, and I think I have some dinner plans with one of the other associates and our pretty much family at this point. It's one of my friends that I've grown up with and gone to school with for years. I think we have some dinner plans tonight, but other than that, probably just have a good relaxing Sunday, Get take care of some stuff around the house and try to relax a little bit. Somebody that's just about to get, uh, begin law school. Ooh, my best advice would probably be. It better not be don't do it. <laughs> no, not don't do it. I, certainly, I certainly enjoyed law school. It's probably would be to set yourself up with the right resources early on and ask for help of other people that have done it. That was one key thing. I learned so much from people that were in law school a couple of years older than me or people that had just graduated. Those people are always willing to help and share their advice. You would not believe the amount of information, tools, outlines, things like that, that I got from just asking people. They're all willing to help and will freely let you know what they wish they knew when they were at that time. And I try to do that too. As many of my friends that I know that are starting law school or in the middle of law school, getting ready to study for the bar, I'm always willing to help and let them know this is what I would have done differently or make sure you do this because this was a large help for me. So reach out early and reach out to as many people as you need to, to set yourself up with the right resources. All right. That is great. Thank you. And uh, again, this was Structurally Sound. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Alvian. I want to thank Maxwell for joining us again, and we will see you next time. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.